Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Ismail Dwaikat. Uh, he's a professor of plant breeding and genetics, University of uh, Nebraska, Lincoln. So we're going to talk about the plant breeding work he does. It uh, looks like he's working on pearl millet and sorghum. So Ismail, thank you for coming. No problem. Glad to be Tell here. Tell me a bit about uh, your, your background. What got you into plant breeding and genetics? And, and then we can talk about the work that you're doing right now. Well, I mean, it's I grew up in a farm with my uncle when I was a uh, kid, so I developed some attachment to agriculture and uh, enjoy working with plants. So after I graduated from high school, I went to the university, came to the University of Florida uh, 1980, and then uh, got my degree in bachelor degree in plant science, and then went to move on to a PhD did my PhD on blueberry breeding. And after graduation, uh, I went to Purdue University. I was a postdoc and for two years worked on genetics of corn for two years. And then after that, I worked for almost nine years on genetics of wheat. That's at Purdue University. And then after that, uh, my wife and I moved to University of Nebraska, where I started working on uh, sorghum and millet breeding so that's uh, and i still continue working with sorghum and millet breeding i added a few crops lately including uh, hemp it's a, a new crop it's an old crop but it's a new uh, crop now here in the states and there is so much excitement about growing hemp so i start working with the breeding of hemp start collection of some of the we you have say hemp? You started hemp, to work with hemp? Hemp, hemp, cannabis sativa. Okay. What, why did you decide to focus on that for a time? Well, it's about, I mean, I read about hemp. It's been crop overseas for 50 years in Canada, Europe, and China, and Russia. And it has so many benefits and advantage. And it's uh, as an agronomy crop or as a medicinal crop. And so Nebraska... Or the after the 2014 farm bill and the 2018, so the state here gave us the opportunity to start piloting a project and uh, experimenting with hemp as a, an agronomic crop. So, and then here in the Midwest, we have remnants of uh, hemp that came came from maybe 1940 after they banned the hemp. So there is a lot of wild hemp around the states, and it's been growing here for the past uh, 70, 80 years, and has developed a lot of uh, adaptation and resistance to so many biotic and abiotic stresses. So I start collecting some of these, some of the wild hemp, and hopefully trying to take advantage of these uh, adaptation traits 
And with that, well, tell me, tell me some of the um, the questions surrounding hemp that you have. What are some of the exper experimentation you're trying to do? Are you trying to breed in certain traits into existing? Well, as, as, as I mentioned, it's like as I mentioned for hemp, we have a lot of hemp, uh, wild hemp, in here in Nebraska, and it's they are they've been grown for the past eighty years on their own. Nobody's interfering with them. So survival of the fittest. The plants that survived the drought over the 80 years, still there. The plant that survived the station of insects, still the heat. So what I'm doing now, I'm taking this wild collection and trying to breed some of the traits they have into adapted hemp cultivar that we are using now to produce fiber, grain, and CBD. Okay. Um, so what, what are you seeing that the wild hemp has? What desirable characteristics does it have that you're trying to breed into the existing? Well, it has, it has a drought tolerance. It has uh, heat tolerance. It has insect and disease resistance. So these are main, they have, uh, some of them has high biomass that uh, uh, produce it under low nitrogen and low, low nutrients. So they have uh, adaptation to low nutrients. We call it nu nutrient use efficient plants. So we're trying to take all these traits and hopefully move them into adapted cultivars and varieties. So these are some of the traits I'm focusing on now in hemp. Okay. What what are some of the desirable characteristics that, that hemp growers want right now? I mean, obviously, I guess disease resistance. Um, what about yield? What does yield mean, well, hemp, let's say, for hemp, hemp plants? I mean, it's not only hemp, everybody like wheat, sorghum, millet, hemp, corn. The main focus is yield. And so how you enhance yield? You enhance the yield by making sure that your plants is uh, resistant to insect diseases, disease, can tolerate uh, the drought. It can survive with a small amount of water. So these are the characteristics uh, that uh, hemp growers want. They want a high yielding crops. And one of the, uh, the advantage of hemp compared to other crops, that hemp has been used as a bioremediation crop, which means that you could use the hemp to clean up contaminated soil, soil that are contaminated with pesticide or heavy metals. or uh, So you could use the hemp to clean it because the hemp roots absorb all these contaminants and store it into the leaves and stems and the seeds. Okay. I guess when I don't see when I don't see fruit on a plant, I think, what is the yield then? So is it just the, the mass of the harvested hemp, let's say? Well, it's, it depends. Plants, like if you are... Plants that don't have fruits, like what, what does yield mean on a, just a vegetative state plant? Well, see, hemp, it uh, can be grown for seed or can be grown for its flower buds, which doesn't have seed, it's just the flower buds or the cola, what we call it, the cola on the top, doesn't have seed. So what are you looking here for higher biomass? High, high biomass translate to higher yield. And the high biomass, that's include mostly flower buds and some of the leaves that contain, for example, if you are growing it for high biomass, you are growing it for biomedicinal reason to produce CBD or CBG or some other cannabinoids. Okay. Um, so just in Nebraska, um, I mean, is hemp legal? I guess obviously it is. You can experiment yeah, yeah. on it. I guess people, 
you know, different researchers had special permits in order to be able to work, work on it for you well, know, the past I mean, X number of decades, have, but is it easier now? Well, it's uh, hemp has been legal to grow in Nebraska since 2018 after the 2018 farm bill that took out hemp from the... And what is the definition of uh, of hemp versus, uh, you know, cannabis sativa in Nebraska? Like what, what percentage concentration of THC delineates it? Well, see, the definition of here, the state and most of the state that legalize hemp, we talk about industrial hemp. And the definition of industrial hemp, that uh, hemp plant could be sativa, cannabis sativa or cannabis indica, that contain less than 0.3% THC. So anything that contain higher than 0.3% THC, the state will come and destroy it. So farmers who grow hemp here for fiber or for grain or for CBD, they want to make sure that uh, the THC level stay below 0.3% THC. So that's legalization of hemp in here. It has, you could grow it as long as it does, it does not exceed, the THC level does not exceed 0.3% in it. So in other states like Colorado, California, Oregon, you could grow hemp for uh, recreational purposes, which is what we talk about here, the marijuana, the THC. Here in Nebraska, we, it's not legal to grow hemp for recreational purposes. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Well, what kind of characteristics do you get when you have hemp versus uh, cannabis plants? You know, with a very low THC concentration, do other terpenes or other chemicals come to the fore? How different is the plant and, and what's different about it? Well, it's mostly that when you are talking about hemp plants, they are mostly tall, skinny plants that bred to produce mostly seeds or fiber. To be able to grow hemp for fiber, you have to have single stock plant. And for seed, it has to be also single stock most of the time, and the seed will be on the top. Compared to the hemp that's grown for medicinal or for recreational purposes, the plant will look like a Christmas tree. So you could tell, actually, if you are going to a farm, if he's growing hemp for CBD or THC or for growing it for industrial purposes. I mean, also, it's if you are growing it for medicinal or recreational, the minute you come close to the plant, you are going to recognize the smell, that aroma or terbenes that come out of the plants. While most of the hemp that grown for fiber and uh, uh, grain does not really have much of terbene and CBD and THC on it. So I was going to ask you about that. So hemp doesn't really have a smell as much as uh, marijuana? Uh, no, no, it doesn't really. 
does not. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, most of the industrial hemp does not have terbenes or the aroma like you could, like you see or you could smell in uh, uh, hemp that's grown for recreational or for CBD. So what's different about industrial hemp versus just regular hemp? Well, I, I, as I said earlier, it has to have less than 0.3% THC. That is no, no, I mean, I mean uh, industrial hemp versus non-industrial hemp, but not, not cannabis. Well, it's the definition of industrial hemp in the state. In the uh, farm bill indicate that anything that contains less than 0.3% would be considered industrial hemp. It means that it's only going to be used for industrial purposes, for fiber, for grain production, for bioenergy. You could grow the plant and burn it, extract lignin from it or ethanol. So that's the main difference. Okay, I understand. I thought there was um, non-industrial hemp and regular hemp and industrial hemp and cannabis, but it's either industrial uses or non-industrial uses. Yeah, based so on that's the main, the main, that's the main, the only two categories you could say that it's a hemp that could be grown for industrial purposes for grain or fiber or hemp that could be grown for medicinal or recreational purposes. And but here okay. also, when you here we grow hemp in Nebraska that only used for the production of CBD, but it has to contain less than 0.3% THC. So it's going to fall under the definition of, of industrial hemp. What is the um, the difference in CBD produced by a plant with very low THC versus a plant with high THC? What's different besides yeah, the presence of more THC? Same CBD is the same. It's exactly the same component, the same chemical structure. There is no difference. But what if it's like a full spectrum one with additional terpenes and other compounds? Well, um, there's really no full, difference yeah, in them? The full spectrum it has... 120 cannabinoids, it has maybe 200 terpenes, it has flavonoids, that's a full spectrum. So sometime when you extract the CBD from these plants, you are going to get contaminants from other cannabinoids or, or even some THC coming to it. While there are some, there are, see, hemp, hemp can be classified into three different uh, categories. Hemp that produce mostly CBD, hemp that produce mostly THC, and hemp that produce CBD and THC. So there are the genetic control over these three categories. That if you have the active gene uh, or the active enzyme to produce uh, more THC, you are going to have less CBD. If you have the dominant enzyme that for the, the production of CBD, you are going to have more CBD than THC. And if you have, uh, well, in the middle enzyme for CBD reduction in THC, you are going to have blend that produce, say, 10% CBD and maybe 5 or 6% THC. So there are three different types. Are there different uh, pests that affect um, low THC versus high THC plants? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's the best is that uh, if you are growing it in the greenhouse, you are going to have insect on it. It doesn't matter if it's uh, high CBD or high THC. It depends on how you control or how clean you keep your greenhouse. 
I mean, insect like mice. Yeah, but I would think again because of the presence of different compounds. Like, what what role does THC have in the wild? Well, it's, does it affect it, certain animals or insects? Like, what or, well, this, or the cannabinoids? I mean, what do they do? There are there are flavonoids that are present, or the hemp plants produce, and these are present mostly in the leaves that are capable of deterring or killing insects. Okay, so that could this could be present in in all the CBD or THC and even in the hemp plants. These flavonoids that uh, have the characteristics as a pesticides. But still, I mean, if you are growing your hemp in a greenhouse and you have mites, spider mice infestation, it doesn't matter what if you have CBD or THC, you have to make sure that you never had that infestation to begin with. And if you have it, you have to really con- to control it. And in most cases, if you have it, it's very hard to get rid of it. So you have to lose your crop because you cannot use any synthetic pesticides on him that's going to be consumed by a human. So you have to use mostly essential oil and some other organic-based uh, material to control the spider mites, which does not, it's not really that effective. Is the majority of hemp still grown outside, or is a lot of it grown indoors and hydroponically? Well, it that's, depends where you are. At. So if you are here in Nebraska, uh, in Kentucky, they are growing most of their hemp outside. And if you are growing your hemp outside, you have less problem with insect uh, compared to if you are growing it inside. So it's uh, if you are growing it hydroponically or in the greenhouse, you are going to make sure that you keep it clean. You make sure that anybody come in clean and have gloves and uh, protective gear. So especially if they've been visiting other farms or you want to transmit these diseases to your plants. Any other further experimentation you're doing, particularly on hemp? Any other questions you're trying to answer about it? My my main focus is, actually, is my research on hemp is limited because of the, we don't really have the funding. If you don't have money and fund, you cannot really do lots of research. So just mostly basic research trying to, uh, on a small scale, uh, develop varieties that are adapted to Nebraska and the Midwest climate. Because hemp is a short day plant, which means that the plant flower on the days get shorter. So most of the hemp we, we had a few years ago came from Canada and Europe. They have longer days than we do, so which means that the plant when you bring them to Nebraska or to the Midwest, they flower too early or too soon before they reach uh, their ultimate size. Would that translate to lower yield? So what we are doing here, trying to develop varieties that are adapted to our climate and to our day length. Okay. And and just briefly, you um, you met, your bio mentioned that you're working on sorghum and uh, another plant. What other main millet. plants are you working on? Millet. Okay. Um, sorghum. What are, the, what are their... Um, particular uses and what are you trying to do with them? See, it's uh, sorghum is and sorghum and millet are a- ancient crops. So it's they're not new. They came from Africa. You're very unique species that are adapted to stress and do not require high concentration, <clears throat> excuse me, high amount of fertilizer and irrigation like corn, for example. So 
in Nebraska and uh, Kansas and Texas, there are more than 10 million acres of sorghum that grown for grain, for the seed. And the seed, one of the unique thing about sorghum seed that has no gluten. So if you are a celiac, you could eat uh, sorghum. If you can't eat wheat, you could eat sorghum. Also beside that, sorghum as a grain could be used for production of ethanol. It's the same amount of, uh, it's like corn. You have corn that's uh, 30% of the corn crops are being used to produce ethanol. Sorghum is the same thing. You could use sorghum seed to produce ethanol. Also in sorghum and millet, we have three different types. We have grain sorghum, we have sweet sorghum, and we have forage type. So there are three types. So you have the a grain that has, I mentioned, its uses. You have forage that could be used for animal feed. And then you have the sweet sorghum. <coughs> sweet sorghum, it's been used for the past 150 years in the Southeast to produce molasses and sugar. In other countries, they use the sweet sorghum to produce ethanol because it can be treated exactly as sugar cane to produce high concentration or high amount of ethanol from the stock because sweet sorghum stock has high concentration of sugar in it compared to the grain sorghum that just has little or no sugar in the stocks. So these are the three types of uh, sorghum. Millet is the same thing. Millet is, uh, you have grain type, you have forage type, and you have sweet type. And millet, it's uh, grain type. Millet is uh, it's known to be as a superfood, the grain. It has high concentration of omega-3 uh, fatty acid. It's, uh, it's, it's not a major crop in the United States as a grain type, but it's a major crop as a forage for forage uses, mostly in the southeast. Yeah. I, have, uh, I have two um, cockatiels that love millet, millet spray. I don't know if it's the same, but I give it to them in the tiny little seeds. Yeah. It looks like a miniature grapes in a way, and they yeah. eat that like crazy. They love it. I mean, it's, uh, you could, uh, in India, they grow 10 million hectares of grain millet. And so they use it as a food. They make bread out of it. So each individual, their capita, I think it's about 23 kilogram annually per capita in India, they use uh, millet. <clears throat> Here, it's not really oh, okay. a crop. Yeah. It's not a big crop in here, but in Africa and India, the reason that it's a major crop because they have a harsh condition. They have drought and millet and sorghum are adapted to this condition. So that's why they grow large uh, acreage and or hectares of it in Africa and in India. Okay. Very interesting. Um, so what, um, what are you trying to do with uh, the various types of sorghum and millet? Again, you're trying to maximize yield, or are there other questions that you're trying to answer with those crops? Well, it's for uh, so for sorghum. We are trying to develop uh, uh, high uh, quality forage type, which means does not have any cyanide inside, so cows could eat it any, at any stage. While millet, for example, forage millet does not have the prosuic acid or cyanide in it, so. That's the difference. So we're trying to develop a high quality forage type in both sorghum and millet. A grain, we're trying to uh, develop high yielding sorghum varieties that also adapted to 
low amount of nitrogen and nutrients and can tolerate uh, drought and heat. We're also in sorghum working on increasing the amount of sugar in the stocks. So someday, if in other countries they are using it for uh, the production of ethanol, hopefully someday we can use it to here. So the higher concentration of sugar, it means translate to higher concentration of ethanol. One acre of uh, sorghum produced twice or three times the amount of ethanol that produced from corn grain. So if we if we are adapting someday sweet sorghum as a bioenergy crop, that is going to be very cost-effective compared to corn because it requires less input than corn and it produces high amount of ethanol per acre compared to corn. Hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Ismail, where can people find out more about your efforts? Where can they go to you know, see your papers and your work? Well, I mean, my papers are published throughout the scientific journals. I have more than 100 manuscripts on sorghum and millet and hemp. I mean, they could contact me if they need any information. I D W E I K A T number two at unl.edu. I'll be happy to provide any information they request, including manuscript and journals. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, very good. Ismail, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.